Chapters 9 and 10 of The Basket of Flowers by Christoph von Schmid. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen in February 2012. Chapter 9 A New Home. James and his daughter were now settled down in a place which they could call home. They furnished their rooms in a simple style, with nothing more than they needed for everyday wants. It gave Mary great pleasure in again being able to prepare her father's meals, and to look after his comforts in every way, and together they led a life of quiet happiness. The good friends with whom they lived had a large garden attached to the house, but as the farmer and his wife had their time too much taken up in the field, to give much care to the garden, it was of little or no use to them. James saw that it could be made a profitable source of income by devoting it to the growing of flowers and fruit, and when he proposed to put this plan into execution, the farmer's consent was willingly granted. During the autumn time, James had made his preparations, and when the warmth of spring had melted the winter snows, he began his work assisted by Mary, and together they labored from morning till night. The garden was divided into beds, planted with all sorts of vegetables and flowers, and bordered with gravel walks. The old man was anxious to see the completion of his idea, and allowed neither himself nor his daughter rest until he had stocked the garden with their favorite flowers, rose-trees, tulips, and lily-roots, and various kinds of shrubbery. Mary made a special study of cultivating some rare flowers, among which were some which had never before been seen in this part of the country. When the summer came, the garden showed such a burst of verdure and blossom that the valley, which was overshadowed by dark trees, now assumed quite a smiling appearance. An orchard belonging to the farmer, which had also been taken in hand by James, soon bore evidence to his gardening skill in the shape of an abundant harvest of fruit. Indeed, it seemed as if the blessing of God was upon everything that James undertook. Settled in a comfortable home, and occupied in his favorite calling, the old gardener began to forget the troubles of the past, and to regain the cheerful humor which had made his conversation such a delight in the past. Once more he began to reflect upon the lessons which the flowers taught, and day by day he taught to Mary some new lesson which he had learned from them. One day a woman from the neighboring village came to buy some flax from the farmer, and brought her little boy with her. While she was occupied in bargaining for the flax, her little child, finding the garden gate open, had gone in and begun to plunder a full-blown rose-bush, with the result that he scratched himself terribly with the sharp thorns. His mother and the farmer's wife, as well as James and his daughter, hearing his screams of pain, ran to him. The child, with his little hands all covered with blood, cried out against the naughty rose-bush for having attracted him by its pretty flowers, and then cruelly torn his hands. The occasion was seized by James for drawing a lesson. It is sometimes thus with us older children also, he said to Mary. Like this rose tree, every pleasure in life has its thorns. We run towards them, and would fain seize them with both hands. 
Some are led away by a taste for the dance and theatre, others by a taste for strong drink, or still more shameful vices. But the thorns make themselves felt by and by, and then there comes lament for wasted youth, and a distaste for the pleasures once so eagerly sought. Do not let us be foolishly dazzled by the beauty of the world. The chief end which man has to care for is the saving of his soul, and it is folly to give ourselves up to the enjoyment of passion. Our unceasing effort should be to use all diligence to gain eternal life. One day James was employed in placing young plants in a part of the garden, while Mary was weeding at a little distance from him. "'This double labor, my child,' said her father, represents what should be the occupation of our life. Our heart is a garden which the good God has given to us to cultivate. It is necessary that we should constantly apply ourselves to cultivate the good and to extract the evil, which is too apt to take root. That we may fulfill faithfully these two duties, let us implore God's assistance and blessing, which makes the sun to shine out and the rain to fall the plants to grow, and the fruit to ripen. Then will our hearts be delightful gardens. We shall then have heaven within ourselves. In this way the old man and his daughter passed through life, active and industrious in their calling, and mingling innocent pleasures and instructive conversation with their daily pursuits. Three years passed swiftly away, and the happy days they had spent at Pine Cottage had almost blotted out the memory of their past misfortunes. It was now autumn time, and the chrysanthemums, the last ornaments of the garden, were glorious in red and yellow flowers. The leaves of the trees had become of varied tints, and everything showed that the garden was preparing for the winter's repose. James had lately begun to feel his strength failing, and the thought of his daughter's future gave him considerable uneasiness. He concealed his feelings from her for fear of distressing her, but Mary observed that her father's remarks upon the flowers were now mostly of a melancholy kind. One day she observed a rosebud which had never blossomed. In attempting to gather it, the leaves of the flower fell off in her hand. "'It is the same with men,' said her father, who had been watching her. "'In youth we resemble the rose newly opened.' but our life fades like the rose. Almost before it is matured, it passes away. Do not pride yourself, my dear child, upon the beauty of the body. It is vain and fragile. Aim rather at beauty of soul and true piety, which will never wither. One day, towards evening time, the old man climbed a ladder to pluck some apples, while Mary stood below with a basket to hold them. "'How cold,' said James, "'this autumn wind is as it whistles over the stubble fields "'and plays with the yellow leaves and my white hairs. "'I am in my autumn, my dear child, "'as you will also be some day. "'Try to grow like this excellent apple tree, "'which produces beautiful fruit, and in great abundance. "'Try to please the master of the great garden,' which is called the world. On another day, Mary was sowing seed for the following spring. The day will come, said her father, 
when we shall be put in the ground, as you are putting these seeds. But let us console ourselves, my dear Mary. As soon as the corn is enfolded in the earth, it is animated. It springs from the earth in the form of a beautiful flower, and rises thus triumphantly from the place where it was buried. So also shall we rise one day from our tombs, with splendor and magnificence. When you follow me to the tomb, my dear child, do not mourn for me, but think of the future. In the flowers which you will plant on my grave, try to see the image of the resurrection and immortal life. End of chapter 9 Chapter 10 A Father's Last Words The winter had now set in with threatenings of severity. Already the mountain and valley round about the farm were covered with deep snow. The weakness which old James had been feeling for some time now culminated in a severe illness. Obtaining her father's consent, Mary asked a physician from a neighboring village to visit him. The doctor came to see James and prescribed for him. Full of foreboding, Mary followed him to the door to ask him if he had any hope of her father's recovery. To this, the physician replied that the old man was in no immediate danger, but that he suffered from a disease which would make his recovery as an old man very improbable. It was with difficulty that Mary bore up under the news, and after the physician had gone, she had a fit of passionate sobbing. For the sake of her father, however, she wiped away her tears and endeavored to appear calm before she went to him. During the succeeding days, Mary attended her father with the utmost devotion and loving care. Rarely had he to make his request known, for his daughter could read in his eyes all that he wanted. Mary spent whole nights by his bedside. If at any time she consented to be relieved for a little rest, it was but rarely that she could close her eyes. If her father coughed, she trembled with apprehension. If he made the least stir, she immediately approached him softly and on tiptoe to know how he was. She prepared and brought to him in the most delicate forms the food which best suited his condition. She arranged his pillows from time to time, read to him, and prayed for him continually. Even when he dozed for a little, she would stand by his bed with her hands clasped and her tearful eyes raised to heaven. Mary had a little money which she had saved from her hard-won earnings. To scrape together this small sum, she had often spent half the night in sewing and knitting articles for sale. Now, in her father's illness, she made use of this little store to procure for him everything which she thought would be of any service. Good old James, although occasionally he felt himself a little stronger, was never deceived about his condition, but felt only too sure that he was on his deathbed. The thought had no power to disturb him, and he spoke to his daughter of his approaching death with the greatest serenity. "'Oh,' said Mary, crying bitterly, "'do not speak thus, my dear father. I cannot bear the thought. What will become of me? Alas, your poor Mary will no longer have any one upon the earth.' "'Do not cry, my dear child,' said her father affectionately, holding out his hand to her. You have a kind father in heaven, 
who will never forsake you, although your earthly father be taken away from you. I do not feel anxious about the manner in which you will gain a livelihood when I am dead, for the birds easily find their food, and you will find enough to nourish you. God provides for the smallest sparrow. Will he not also provide for you? The thought that distresses me, he continued, is that you will be left alone. Alas, my dear child, you have little idea of the wickedness that is in the world. There will be moments, perhaps, when you will feel inclined to do evil, moments when you will perhaps yourself be persuaded that sin is not so very wrong. Listen to the advice which I now give you, and let the last words of your dying father be forever deeply impressed on your heart. Forbid every action, every speech, every thought, for which you would have to blush if your father knew. Soon my eyes will be forever closed. I shall not longer be here to watch over you. But remember you have, in heaven, a father whose eye sees everything and reads the secrets of your heart. After a little while, when he had recovered breath, he continued, you would not wish by an act of disobedience to hurt the father whom you have on earth. How much more, then, should you fear to offend your father, which is in heaven? Look at me once more, Mary. Oh, if you ever feel the least inclination to do wrong, think of my pale face, and of the tears which wet these sunken cheeks. Come to me, put your hand into mine which will soon fall into dust. Promise me never to forget my words. In the hour of temptation, imagine that you feel this cold hand, which you now hold on the border of the grave. My poor child, you cannot see without weeping my pale and hollow cheeks, but know that everything passes away in this world. There was a time when I had the bloom of health and the fresh color which you now have. The time will come when you too will be stretched on the bed of death, pale and emaciated, as you now see me, if God does not sooner take you to himself. The friends of my youth have disappeared like the flowers, which have passed away with the spring, and for whose places you seek in vain. Like the dew which sparkles for a moment on the flowers, and is gone. The next day, James, feeling that his end was near, felt it his duty and delight, though weak in body, to continue his advice to his daughter. I have seen the world, said he, as well as other people, in the day when I accompanied the young count on his travels. If there was anything in the large cities, superb or magnificent, I went there. I spent whole weeks in pleasure. If there was a brilliant assembly, or a lively conversation, I saw and heard, as well as my young master. I shared in the most exquisite meals, and of the scarcest wines, and always had more than I wished for. But all these worldly pleasures left me with an empty heart. I assure you solemnly, my dear Mary, that a few moments of peaceful thought and fervent prayer in our arbor in Eichberg, or under this roof that covers us now, gave me more real joy than all the vain pleasures of the world. Seek then your happiness in a life of service of our blessed Saviour. 
you will find him, and he will bless you. Too well you know, my child, that I have not been without misfortune in this life. When I lost your dear mother, my heart was for a time like a dry and barren garden, whose soil, burned by the sun, cracks open and seems to sigh for rain. In this way I languished, thirsting for consolation, and at last I found it in the Lord. Oh, my dear daughter, there will be days in your life when your heart also will be like dry and barren ground, but let it not dishearten you. As the thirsty ground calls not for rain in vain, but God sends the refreshing showers, so if you seek your consolation from God, He will refresh your heart, as the sweet rain refreshes the thirsty, parched earth. Let your confidence in your Heavenly Father be unshaken. Firmly believe that there is nothing He will not do for those He loves. Sometimes He may lead us by paths of grief, but be sure that these paths lead to unmingled happiness. Do you recollect, my good Mary, all the grief you felt when, after our painful walk, I fell down with fatigue in the middle of the road? Now you can see that this accident was the means which God made use of to procure for us the comforts which we have enjoyed for three years with the good people of this house. Had I not taken ill that day, then we should not have come before their door, or their hearts would not have been touched with compassion for us. All the pleasures which we have enjoyed here, all the good which we may have been able to do, are so many benefits which sprang from the sickness which at first so sorely distressed you. But you will always find, my dear Mary, that in the troubles of life there are proofs of the divine goodness to those who will look for them. If the liberal hand of the Lord has scattered with flowers the mountains and valleys, forests and river-banks, and even the muddy marshes to give us everywhere the opportunity of admiring the tenderness and beauty of nature, he has also imprinted on all the events of our life the evident traces of his great wisdom and all his passionate love to man, in order that the attentive man may learn by them to love and adore him. In all our life we have never had to suffer more than when you were accused of a theft, when you were chained and likely to be doomed to death. We were weeping together in prison and lamenting our affliction. Well, even this trial has been a source of great good to us, Looking back upon it, we can see that when the young countess favored you above other young girls, honored you by admitting you to her company, made you a present of a beautiful gown, and expressed a wish that you should always be near her, there was a danger that these great advantages of life would render you vain and trifling, fond of the things of this world, and apt to forget God. Doubtless the Lord consulted our highest interests when he changed our condition, and banished us from happiness into despair. In the misery of our state, in prison and in poverty of circumstances, we have been enabled to live nearer to him. He has brought us far from the corrupt influences of large towns into this lonely country where he has prepared for us a better home. 
here you are like a flower flourishing in solitude where if it has not the admiration of man it has nothing to fear from his hand the good and faithful god who has done all these things for us will give a still more happy turn to your life for i firmly believe that he has answered my prayer that he will one day show to the world your innocence when that time shall come i shall be no more but i can die in peace without seeing it for i am convinced of your innocence yes my daughter the pain which you have suffered will yet be the means of leading you to much happiness on earth though this kind of happiness is the least and you will see that god's great design in afflicting us was to sanctify our hearts and to prepare us for that home to which we can arrive only through tribulation and suffering believing this let not your heart be troubled that you are in misfortune believe firmly that god's tenderness watches over you that his care will be sufficient for you in whatever place he chooses to take you in whatever painful situation you may be placed say it is the best place for me notwithstanding all that i am safe for he has brought me here end of chapter ten